Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Open World Podcast. I've got a fun one for you guys today, and this interview promises to be uh, both inspirational and uh, I think instructional as well. I'm joined by Will Hatton. He was working uh, several years ago as a lorry in the UK, unloading boxes for a grocery store. I don't know what he was making, probably minimum wage. Uh, at that point, he had never done anything exciting with his life, so he took a risk and he decided to go and climb Mount Kilimanjaro for his 19th birthday. And ever since that first experience, he's been pretty much traveling nonstop for eight years now. And I'm trying to go through the highlight reel here, but uh, putting together the pieces of this puzzle. He, he recently completed, completed a tuk-tuk trip where he drove across India. Uh, he's currently hitchhiking from England to Pakistan with plans to go all the way to New Zealand. He lived in Asia for two years on $12 a day, including flights and visas. He spent a year in visa, uh, excuse me, a year in India where he's able to live for a year on $3,000. Uh, so he's kind of earned this moniker of uh, The Broke Backpacker. He blogs at uh, thebrokebackpacker.com, and uh, he hitchhikes, he camps, does whatever he has to to make this stuff a reality. And his adventures have been featured on Business Insider, The Daily Mail, and Huffington Post. So I'm super excited for this conversation. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Will, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, Danny. Thank you very much for the invite. It is a pleasure. That was one of the longest bios that we've had so far on the show, my friend. <laughs> you actually missed out a few bits and pieces, but I wasn't going to interrupt. <laughs> I feel like I'm only getting started. So, <laughs> Could you, uh, in your own words, could you introduce yourself and tell me about your backstory? Let's get to know you a little bit. Yeah, sure. Okay, so when I was 19, I went and climbed Kilimanjaro, which is my first sort of taste of adventure. And my plan of my life had always been to join the Royal Marines, but I ended up getting seriously injured in Costa Rica. And that was no longer an option. So I kind of had a little bit of a mental breakdown, booked a one-way flight to India, and ended up bouncing around Asia for years with pretty much no money. I pick up random jobs. I was a goat herder for a little bit. That was good fun. Uh, I worked on farms, worked behind bars. Anything I had to do to script together enough money to stay on the road. Initially, I was very much into just traveling with no money. But now I've kind of evolved a little bit. And I'm traveling more to interesting countries like Pakistan, Venezuela, Iran, the kind of countries which don't get many visitors. And that's why I like them. There's nobody there. And the people are always extremely excited to see, another, see a foreigner who wants to actually experience their country. So that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment, going to unvisited countries and trying to uncover them and change the reputation a little bit. Because Pakistan and Iran especially, I mean, they have a bad international reputation because of the way they're portrayed in the media. And I'm very, very keen to help uncover the real side of these countries, because frankly, they're amazing places to go. Yeah, I, I can second that. I have some plans to go to Central Asia myself. But um, one thing I want to ask you, though, is uh, I've, I've done kind of that you know, rough style of travel. I've hitchhiked around India a bit. I've uh, traveled over land to some places like Indonesia. Um, and that's, that's usually fun for a few weeks. I can't imagine doing it for like six, seven, eight years where it kind of yeah. becomes your life, you know, like the new normal. Um, I mean, I think it's great for like a month or two, and then you're ready to just like, you know, be in an air-conditioned apartment. What are your thoughts on that? 
I totally understand where you're coming from. I do get it. But I mean, for me, it was it was travel like that or, or go home. And I did not want to go home. There was there was nothing for me at home apart from a broken career path. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I was vaguely interested in being a professional windsurfer, which is like the longest of long shots. So, you know, I mean, it, for me, I, I kind of needed that time on the road to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I met a lot of inspirational people whilst I was traveling. And it was kind of these people who I met who gave me the encouragement to keep doing what I was doing until I figured out exactly what I wanted to do. And eventually, you know, about two years ago, I started my blog. And that has changed things in a big way because I am now able to make a living from my blog, which means if it's the choice between like a 40-hour train journey or try and hitch for like four days, I can take the train journey, which that might not sound luxurious, but to me, it seems pretty luxurious. Okay, so you started your blog two years ago, but before that you were um, kind of just making, taking whatever jobs you could along the road. Uh, were there any like really unfortunate, uh, I guess, in instances that happened to you where um, you like ran out of money or um, you had to ask for help from someone? Were there some low points? Well, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call them low points, but there was definitely challenges. Um, I was very, very lucky in that I was an extremely active member of the couchsurfing community and couchsurfing pretty much provided my lifeline. Like every time that I uh, was starting to get really tired of sleeping rough or camping, somebody would invite me into their house and it would, like you say, be air conditioned. And it would, it would just seem like such luxury compared to what I was used to. Also, a lot of the people I met through couchsurfing, um, whether they found what I was doing uh, inspirational or they just took pity on me, they were very, very kind to me. And I've couchsurfed over 100 times and I, found, I did find it a real lifeline, to be honest. I suppose whenever I did run out of money, I was usually pretty good at picking up work. And I'd often just pick up work for two or three days because if I earned 100, 100 bucks, I, I knew how to stretch that for like two weeks. <laughs> so, so couch surfing was actually an upgrade? Oh, couch surfing, honestly, <laughs> man, like, I've couch surfed in some amazing places. Um, when I was in Jordan, I was actually invited into the home of a Rastafarian Bedouin who lived in a rock-cut cave, which had been in his... Uh, family for like generations I, I stayed there for like two weeks just helping him like look after his goats and collect firewood and stuff it was great it, i mean couch surfing is a fantastic way to see a side of the country which you just cannot see unless you've got local friends you're actually couch surfing in a cave you said yeah I, honestly <laughs> it was amazing it was like one, one of the best couch surfing experiences of my life but i've had some really good ones i've couch surfed in some truly awesome places with some truly awesome people Tell me about some more highlights and uh, interesting experiences, because I know you have uh, a bunch you can rattle off here. I've only covered a handful of them in your introduction. So. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Well, recent, recent experiences. Uh, when I was in Iran, I got married briefly. Uh, I got a temporary uh, Islamic marriage, which allowed me to travel around the country with a girl I had met on Tinder, because it was impossible for us to travel without a marriage certificate. So that was fun. And we hitchhiked all across Iran together. Um, last year, I was in Venezuela, which is the cheapest country in the world. You can get 60 beers for a dollar. You can stay in five-star hotels for $2. And I climbed Mount Morema, which is the highest tabletop mountain in the world. And that was, that was truly amazing. Uh, I'm really into my mountains. I've done a lot of peaks in Nepal, a couple in India. Uh, I'm hoping to do some more in Pakistan. Um, oh, 
as you did mention, recently myself and my brother drove a multicolored tuk-tuk 2,000 kilometers across India. Now, this was, I wouldn't say it was fun because it, it broke down like 100 times a day and it was, it was physically exhausting to get this tuk-tuk going and to fix it, but it was certainly an experience. All of these trips that you take seem to be physically exhausting. I mean, hitchhiking from, uh, you've hitchhiked from England to Pakistan so far. Um, I've, I've hitchhiked a bit and, oh my God, man, that's, that's a grueling thing because uh, you get to some of these countries like Iran or India and you're just out in the sun, you know, on the road uh, waiting for someone to pick you up and uh, it takes a toll on you after a while. It does, yeah. I mean, yeah. actually, Iran was the easiest country I've ever hitchhiked in, in, my, in my life. Iranians have no idea what hitchhiking is, but <laughs> as soon as they see somebody, a foreigner, standing by the side of the road, they will stop and they will like, see if they can help you and they'll like, give you some pistachios. Um, I mean, it, <laughs> it was nuts, honestly. Like, you'd have queues of cars stopping to see if they could help you because they'd never seen a foreigner with a cardboard sign before. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Iran was easy. Actually, I found Turkey pretty hard. Turkey was difficult. I had to try and hitchhike from Istanbul all the way up to um, southern Turkey to get into Georgia. And that is a long, straight road. Um, and it was hard. It was really hard because it wasn't much traffic that was doing the full journey. So uh, that, that was tough. Yeah, and these are great distances that you're traveling. I had, um, I had a similar experience in India where everyone, you know, was willing to stop and it was really easy to hitchhike. Uh, but then they kept, you know, dropping me off at the bus station. Yeah. Know, like, I don't want to take the bus. I just want to hitchhike. And I was kind of just doing it for fun. I mean, I only hitchhiked for a few days, but I can't imagine. I think your hitchhiking journey is going to take like three years, all told, right? Yeah, I mean, something like that. Like, obviously, in, in India, we weren't hitchhiking. We have a tuk-tuk. And the, the plan is... Once I'm back in Pakistan, we're going to cross from Pakistan, China, Tibet, Nepal, Bhutan, India, through to Myanmar, and basically make our way to the Philippines. And from the Philippines, what I'm hoping to do is to build a boat and sail it along the lengths of the Philippines across Indonesia to Papua New Guinea, which is my final destination. Uh, I think that will take about six months, but I did, I did briefly look at the concept of boat hitchhiking, and I think we might still try and hitch from... Vietnam to the Philippines. But after that, I want my own transport because having your own transport in these places, it does make a bit of a difference. And I think the idea of sailing along the Philippines, it's going to be either amazing or I'm going to die. But it's going to be one of those. <laughs> so how are you able to put these trips together? Do you have any um, tips for how you, you're able to plan these or make these work? I mean, I, I imagine that you mentioned that you have a blog, but you're making some income. Um, but I imagine you're still traveling on a budget, no doubt. I am, I am traveling on a budget, yeah. I mean, um, I am traveling on a budget, but I'm actually making more from my blog than I need for my travels. And it's all going in the hostel pot because the plan is to eventually open a string of hostels, which I'm, I'm looking forward to. I've got quite a lot of big international sponsors uh, and they will give me money for the idea of building a boat, for example, and sending it across the Philippines. I mean, when, when, I, when I plan my trips now, I tend to look at a map and look at the most ridiculous route I can do. And then I check it hasn't been done before. And if it hasn't, I'm like, yeah, that looks like a great trip to me. So how did you build this up? Because you mentioned you started blogging uh, two years ago, and now you're getting sponsors. Um, how did you go from just like uh, somebody that nobody knew about to uh, being able to get sponsors, being able to get enough income from your blog? It's a very, very good question. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think, to be honest, I think everybody all over the world can uh, relate to the idea of not having any money but wanting to travel anyway. And on my blog, I aim to show people how to do that. 
So I think, you know, it's, it's a popular concept. People understand it. I mean, if you look at a lot of other bloggers, they're like, yeah, anybody can travel the world. Here, here, here's how you do it on $50 a week. $50, sorry, $50 a day. $50 a day is $1,400 a month. That is a lot of fucking money. Like, you, you can travel way, way cheaper than that. You can travel on $10 a day if you know what you're doing. And I think, um, I mean, that's partly why a lot of my viewers are not just from countries like the UK and the US. I've got a lot of viewers from, like, India and Colombia and countries where people don't necessarily have the same kind of disposable income that we have in Europe and the States. Um, I, I, I assume that's why it blew up. But, I mean, I did get lucky as well. Like, um, because of the trip I'm doing, nobody has done before. And because I go to countries like Venezuela where nobody has blogged about them before, uh, my stories just tend to blow up, to be honest. And then you're obviously uh, very active in promoting. I think that uh, all travel bloggers that I've talked to, I interviewed Meg Gerard on this uh, podcast, and she's everywhere. You know, just, yes, just she is. Yeah. Everywhere she can be on social media. Is that kind yeah, of so, your strategy? Social media, is, social media is important, but like, yeah. put it this way. For me, if I'm, if I'm traveling, I don't want to be in the Pakistani mountains soaking in the sunset, bouncing off the snow whilst trying to tweet about it. You know, screw that, man. Like, I, I'm not interested in Twitter. <laughs> I have a vague interest in Instagram, and I, I hate Facebook. So, yeah, I mean, I... So, I, so how, I do, do, how do you feed the beast, as it were? I mean, you, you, you haven't had reliable internet, I guess, for months. I mean, how do you get any work done? What I tend to do is I will try to find somewhere that's internet, and I will then schedule everything for two months. Uh, and it will run itself for two months. Um, and that, that's the way to do it, man. I mean, I, I, I do snap, like Snapchat is something that I'm getting into in a big way because it means that people can see like a day in the life of an adventurer. And I think a lot of people are very interested in seeing like, uh, you know, a six minute video that um, encapsulates what it's like to trek with a police bodyguard into the mountains of Pakistan. People are keen to see that kind of stuff. So I'm moving more and more towards video and I, I enjoy video more. Certainly, I, I, I enjoy it far more than Twitter and Facebook anyway. I think there's a cutoff point with uh, Snapchat where if, if you're over 27 or over 28, like you're too old to use it, I think. so. Oh, you, you say that. Uh, there are actually a few influencers at the moment who are uh, in their 50s or above. I mean, if you look at Evo Terra. You, 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 you can count them on your hands probably. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm 30, I can't even figure out how, snap, how to use Snapchat because I open it up and it's like in selfie mode and I'm like, no, I don't want to take a damn selfie. Uh, uh, well, okay, look, basically the way Snapchat works, I'll give you a, a really quick 30-second tutorial. Okay. The way Snapchat works is open it up and you click on the, on the bottom, bottom right and that will then show you the stories of the people you're following. Now, even if you never want to send a single Snapchat in your life, and that's totally fine, you want to follow in, interesting people on Snapchat and then you can watch their stories and you can see like, a five-minute clip of what they've been doing that day. Now, unfortunately, Snapchat is 95% full of people who are really, really, really boring. But there are some good people on there. There's a, a, another Snapchat account called Everest Snow Filter, and they recently climbed Mount Everest without oxygen, and they Snapchatted the whole thing. Uh, I have no idea how they got signal. I'm still trying to work that bit out. But, I mean, um, <laughs> there, there is some really cool adventure stuff on there. You just need to wade through the shit of people snapping their breakfasts. <laughs> so it seems like the big part of your success is just finding, like, interesting ideas, interesting trips to take, and, uh, like, your, your trip to Venezuela or uh, yeah. getting married from Tinder in Iran. <laughs> Uh, for to, to clarify, I didn't do that for a story. But I mean, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I mean, definitely 
trying to find going to places that haven't been covered before nobody had been to venezuela for like 10 years and written about it because venezuela uh, caracas has got the highest murder rate in the world the country has got the biggest kidnap rate in the world it's got the worst inflation in the world and it is it is quite a dangerous place to be. um you know whilst i was there a friend of mine had a gun put to their head in a restaurant and now a friend of mine had a knife pulled in the street but <laughs> it's an it's an amazing country. It's not, I mean I wouldn't recommend it for like a first time backpacker, but if you're experienced like me, there's only so many times you can go to places like Thailand, you know. Yeah, and I remember reading about your post. I think it was on uh, the Huffington Post or some some outlet, uh, maybe Business Insider, where I was reading about your trip and you're basically living like a millionaire in Venezuela. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was really great. I mean, seriously, man, like uh, Venezuela, it's got more oil than any other country in the world. You can fill up a car for two cents uh oil is cheaper than water Pet- petrol sorry is cheaper than water um i was partying every night and i was fucking struggling to spend more than two or three dollars and i was you know i was very much being like the wolf of wall street i, I was at the bar being like drinks for everyone i'm the only white guy in the bar and i'd buy like a hundred venezuelans a drink and it would cost nothing it was it was nuts i feel like that would make you a target some white guys uh, in the bar <laughs> buying drinks for everyone i figured like, oh man I- I'm always a target. <laughs> I'm used to it. But like, I, I mean, figured you get held up at knife point the moment you left the bar. <laughs> I think, I think, having local friends in these countries definitely makes you safer. And also, like, I mean, even though I was going out and partying in Venezuela, I never had more than ten bucks on me, and I was willing to give up that ten dollars if somebody was going to put a gun in my face. <laughs> So you have all these interesting uh, trips that you've taken, all these interesting stories, and I think this is an important concept for others to latch on to because um, there's so many people out there kind of just doing the same things, you know, whether it's uh, in their work or in their personal life. And um, you seem like just really creative, like you have a, a mind that's just bouncing off the walls. Like, where do you come up with this inspiration, and uh, how do you just like carry on all these, uh, carry out all these different like? interesting adventures uh, it's very kind of you to say i mean i suppose um to be completely honest man i'm just trying to keep myself entertained like i've got <laughs> i've got i've got a very short attention span and like um yeah I, I i need to keep mixing it up if i'm gonna keep myself entertained till i finally die so this is the plan just just stay entertained and keep pushing the boat out and keep stepping out of my comfort zone because the more i step out of my comfort zone the more i tend to learn and the more i can apply that to my life, my relationships, and my business. Your comfort uh, zone's already pretty, uh, pretty big, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, I want to get a car and drive across Afghanistan. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> so, if you were so, giving someone advice, I think they would start from the opposite end. You know, they wouldn't want to uh, drive a car across Afghanistan. You know, they would just like, for them, like it'd be more conservative. You know, they would be thinking about like, I need to save money. I need to um, maybe just take a small trip just a babysit outside of my comfort zone. Uh, yeah, what, what advice do you give to people like based on your formula? I think that is definitely, I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend driving a car across Afghanistan unless you're like a fairly experienced traveler. But I think a lot of people are not necessarily ambitious enough with their first trip. Um, for example, somebody might not have much money and they might choose to go to Thailand. Thailand is not a particularly cheap country. You'd be far better off just stepping one country over and going to Cambodia. Sure, it's not quite as well-known as Thailand, but it's still got thousands of backpackers. It's still got a party scene. It's still got everything that Thailand has got, but it's about a third of the price. 
I think um, I think traveling is something that everybody should try once in their life. It isn't for everybody, but everybody should try it once in their life. And I think I get a lot of emails from people saying, oh, I'd love to do what you do. How do I do it? And my advice is don't necessarily do what I'm doing, but realize that the internet has made it a very, very level playing field. There are hundreds of careers that you can create for yourself by using the internet, whether it's drop shipping or to become an SEO expert or a freelance writer or whatever. It's very easy now to pick something and to make a living out of it. Not necessarily the kind of living which will support you if you're living in the UK or the States, but certainly the kind of living that will support you if you're traveling all the time. I think a lot of people don't realize that. And it, it really is there for the taking at the moment. Yeah, and I think a big part of it is confidence. Uh, a lot of people lack confidence in themselves, but you seem like you have you're bursting with confidence. Uh, was it was it always this way? No, it was not always this way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like like I said, when I got this injury which stopped me going into the Marines. I really did have a very much uh, a downward spiral, and uh, when I when I hit the road and went travelling, it was uh, make or break because if if I didn't if I didn't uh, come out the other side of that traveling a happier, more confident person, I really do not know what I would have done with myself. Uh, I think it would have been game over, to be honest. So, I mean, that's why I went to all these places and stepped out of my comfort zone. I was scared half the time. I was scared shitless and I was lonely. But I came out the other side of it feeling much more confident in my ability to handle pretty much any curveball that came my way. Have you, uh, tell me about some of those moments of doubt where you had to do soul searching. I mean, have you ever been like alone thinking that like, this isn't worth it? You know, what am I doing here? I should have, I should go back, uh, to a more conventional lifestyle. I remember when I was in Nepal, um, I did the Annapurna circuit trek, which is a fantastic two week trek. It's absolutely stunning. Um, and I was really, really struggling from HAPE, which is a form of altitude sickness where basically your lungs fill with fluid and you drown. It's not very nice. So I was continuously uh, coughing up all this yellow phlegm shit. And um, I saw a doctor um, who was one stop before the final stop where you did the actual ascent to 5,500 metres. And he was like, you need to turn around. (laughs) And I I said, no, I'm not going to turn around because it's a two-week walk back. And I don't want to do that. And with the help of a very, very close friend of mine, I made it over the past. But I mean, it was awful. I was crawling. I was delirious. I was being violently sick. I had to be pretty much dragged over the past. But I made it with, with the help of my friend, I hasten to add. Um, and that, that was a pretty challenging time. Uh, I remember as I got, went up, as, as I was going up, to, to, to the final point, um, I really was thinking, shit, this is stupid. You should turn around. You're going to, like, fucking die if you keep going. Um, but luckily I didn't, and I'm still here. Have you ever been in, like, any danger that you feel? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, loads of times. Yeah, I've had, I've had a, a knife pulled on me on a couple of occasions. I've, had, I've been in a couple of um, mm-hmm. fairly bad traffic accidents. Uh, you know, the standard sort of adventure stuff. There's no doubt, Will, that this kind of lifestyle that you're leading, that I'm leading, um, I mean, it's very unconventional. It's very um, fraught with danger and doubt. Uh, do you find ways to, do you have ways to cope? I mean, to kind of uh, make it easier to kind of remind yourself why you're doing this? 
I think probably a little bit like you, to be honest, Danny. Uh, a lot of the time when I'm feeling not particularly confident that what I'm doing is the right thing to do, I will write about it or I will put that energy into a piece of work. And then more often than not, it is received very well online. And although I do not rely on positive reviews or anything online, it does make you feel that, hey, maybe what I'm doing is worth doing. And uh, every now and again, I'll get a message from somebody which would be like, hey, you've, you've encouraged me to go traveling. Thanks very much. And like, when I get stuff like that, it kind of makes it worthwhile for me anyway. Yeah, so I find that writing helps a lot. You know, like uh, I'll do journaling, um, yes. just just getting stuff out of my head. Yes, uh, I'm the same, man. Like, I, I find a lot of the time I go to sleep and I lie in bed and I think of the four or five killer ideas and I've got to get up and write them down. Um, <laughs> I find that when I'm asleep, like I'll wake up around like three in the morning or four in the morning, all this stuff that I don't even like think about usually, like with my conscious mind, like it suddenly comes to the surface. And if I don't get it all out of my system, then I, I can't fall back asleep. So maybe it's like frustration. Like I feel like um, uh, having a rough week or something, and I'll be like, I'm not living the dream here in Thailand, you know. And this is why this is going wrong. This is going wrong. I hate this. I can't get a decent internet connection. You know, the clients give me the runaround, whatever it is. Um, and then I just find like if, once I write it all out, like it's it's gone. I don't have to deal with it anymore. I can start with a fresh slate the next morning and. Um, I find it's been very, very healthy because a lot of times if I don't write it out, I'll wake up in the morning and I just feel like a zombie, you know, like another day. Um, but if I get it out of my system, then I'm able to just, uh, you know, I'm level-headed, I'm clear, uh, and I can do what I have to do. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I mean, another big outlet for me is uh, I've always been very, very into CrossFit, which uh, it's, it's impossible to do when I'm traveling at the kind of pace that I am doing, but I do try to stay fit. Whenever I can find a gym, I will go in and throw things around for a bit, and I'll always feel a bit better after that. <laughs> so you're half a traveler. You're also half an entrepreneur. Um, I mean, you must identify with both of these hats, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm passionate about um, identifying opportunities and helping to open up countries, which is why at the moment I'm very, very keen on Pakistan's first uh, backpack hostel and then starting to do adventure trips around Pakistan for backpackers. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, you're not the first person to call me off now, although it's not a word I've ever used to describe myself. Um, I, I come up with ideas and sometimes the words. Will, are you able to record on your end? Yeah, I can. Uh, do you want to send me the questions and then I can uh, record them for you? Um, yeah, I'd like I'd like to to finish up the interview. Um, but if, if you can maybe record on your end and uh, uh, just just for the audio quality. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Let me just let me just okay. Hold on. Okay. Just because it's 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 good stuff, but I, I feel like uh, I don't want to turn anyone away because of the static. Yeah. No, I, okay. I record on my phone, uh, which I hold close to my mouth. Okay. Okay. Then I can mix the two audio files later. Okay, we are now recording. Okay. Yeah, so it seems like you're like the perfect entrepreneur. I mean, you're an idea guy. You just told me that you like to come up with ideas. That's, that's what entrepreneurs do. I mean, we like to uh, come up with new ideas, things that excite us, that we're passionate about. Um, but then maybe we often don't like to manage things once we build them, you know? Like, uh, we don't want to, like, run a business or we just want to, like, create new stuff. 
it seems like what you're kind of like that too. Like you have that same creative drive, would you say? Yeah. I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, for example, design. Um, I did design the first from Backpacker site and it looked fucking terrible. So I then submitted out to somebody. Um, and I, I know what I'm good at. I'm good at writing. I'm good at networking. I'm good at pitching and I'm good at making videos. I'm not good at editing. I'm not good at editing photos or videos or anything like that. So where possible, I try to subcontract that out so that I can focus on what I am good at and not get frustrated. Yeah, that's a great point that you just brought up. I, I know that when I was a new entrepreneur, um, I had certain like things I could do that I wasn't good at. I didn't enjoy doing them, and it just kind of sucked the life out of me. And once I was able to just find someone else to do that for me, like like article writing for I, uh, for my clients, you know, I work with clients for internet marketing, and uh, I would find someone that could write five articles for thirty-five dollars, and I was like, okay, that's much better than trying to do this all myself, because these yeah. are these are articles about like you know roofing or flooring and stuff like this, uh, and I just have no inspiration to do it. Yeah. Oh, no, I understand. So, so some of my first ever clients who wanted me to uh, post their products on my blog, they'd be like, oh, we've come up with this great new, I don't know, doorstop. Can you write an interview about how it's groundbreaking, it's going to change backpacking forever? And I was like, well, no, I can't. One, because it won't. But two, because it's just going to suck the soul out of me and I'll never want to write again. Yeah, it's not worth it. Sometimes you get these opportunities and it's like um, you could advertise for like payday loans or something. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. you, know, like, you get contacted by these companies and it's like, yeah, it's easy money, but um, you got to have principles, I think. you got to be able to uh, find that intersection where you have one circle, which is your passion, and then you have another circle, which is where you can make money, and then find where they intersect. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree. I mean, I think um, with any online business, you have at some point got to decide What's more important to you, your passion or making a shit ton of money? Um, there is a middle ground. And I think if you can stay in that middle ground for as long as possible, you will be happiest. I mean, I've, I've had opportunities for sponsors who have wanted to advertise in the Broke Backpacker. And they, they've offered me, like, good money, like, really good money. Um, but I had to say no because it doesn't fit in with my brand and it doesn't fit in with the kind of services or products that I want to promote to my followers okay so i'm putting together this formula here so uh, your entrepreneurial formula i mean one is you come up with interesting ideas you come up with marketable ideas um two you focus on activities that you're most passionate about uh what are some of the other things that have been integral for your success as a uh blogger as an online entrepreneur i think something that i am like i feel comfortable in saying i'm good at this uh, and I am good at pitching to companies and saying, hey, look, Red Bull, I want to build a raft and sail it from the Philippines across Indonesia to Papua New Guinea. Now, that's going to be one hell of a challenge. But if it works out, don't you want to be one of the sponsors that sponsors such an insane adventure? And I, I'm, I'm good at getting these kind of ideas in front of the marketing people for big companies and the kind of companies that I want to be associated with as well. So let's talk about that. How much have you raised uh, from sponsors? And um, tell me, like, walk me through your process. Like, break it down into steps, like, one, two, three, if you can. Okay. Well, I, I, without naming a sponsor, I can tell you a deal that I did recently for a very well-known guidebook company who wanted to become an official partner of the Broke Backpacker. And they get a small slot in the sidebar of my website 
they get a couple of articles where I mention that they are a sponsor of my adventures. And for one month later on during the year, they are going to sponsor that month directly, which means that for a set period of um, for a set period of days, every time I upload a picture of me adventuring in Pakistan, I will at the bottom put this this portion of my adventure was sponsored by client name, um, and that basically gives them an opportunity to present themselves as a company which sponsors real adventurers and which is passionate about people who want to go out there and explore these far-flung countries. And that's, that's kind of what I'm selling, to be honest. I'm selling the opportunity to paint yourself as a company which gets behind innovative ideas. What kind of numbers usually do you have to have before these companies listen to you? Because I've, I've never personally done – I don't really do sponsored posts. I don't have advertisements on my site. I just sell my own products. Um, sure. I think, um, I think the numbers are important, but – they decrease in importance as the originality of your idea. Um, I, I, think, I think the idea itself is more important. The concept is what these guys want to be sold on. And if you can say, hey, look, I'm doing something that has never been done before, and it is an adventure expedition, which is mm. going to be, you know, it's, got, it's got three years, this trip, to continue to build up momentum. Uh, and I think it's an investment for a lot of a lot of companies. I mean, I've got about 150,000 social media followers, but I started pitching when I have way less than that, like 40,000. And I, nobody has ever said to me, we're interested, but you don't have enough social media followers. People have always said either we're interested or we're not interested. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. You really have to have that, that innovative, that unique idea. And it's, it's challenging coming up with uh, unique ideas, even just for like, you know, coming up with content. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, for, for UK to Papua New Guinea, I literally just looked at a map and looked at the furthest possible point I could go from the UK, basically. Have you read the book, uh, Become an Idea Machine? Do you, do I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. No, is it good? I don't know, but I figure your process must be quite similar to... Um, to, who's, who's the author that I'm thinking of? Uh, James, James Altucher. I've written it down. I'm going to check it out. Maybe, maybe you could be on his podcast. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, so it, that's, that's one of the things. So I actually did do a sponsored podcast once um, last year. I think I got, they paid about 350 for it, and I got a free trip to Cambodia. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah, and one of the first things we did is we just really tried to, uh, I sat down with them. We tried to outline, you know, what's the pitch uh, you know, what's the unique angle that we're going to take with this podcast? Um, and then, you know, who would be most interested? Who would be the target market for this as well? Um, and just going through that simple exercise, I found it to be very instructive. Because uh, a lot of people, they don't really go through that process. They just write whatever they want to write or whatever they feel today. Um, but when you have that, that audience, you know, like that's already built in, you know, this is where we can post this on Reddit. We can post this on Facebook. Um, you know, and that, that article or that podcast did really well. We got a lot of listens. Um, but I think that's instructive when you can kind of reverse engineer from uh, having a great idea and then creating the content. Yeah, I mean, I think if you've got a good idea and then you can tailor make it to a client, that's when they get excited. Um, yeah. Just just recently, I wrote an article about um, traveling in Pakistan with a 60-year-old police bodyguard who spoke no English. And I then got that article sponsored by a language learning app which I use religiously on my phone to help me learn languages, basically. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a way of getting in a client plug without it being too over the top and detracting from the story itself. 
Yeah, that's great. So we, that was a great nugget we just uncovered, the power of just really great ideas. Um, and that reminds me of, uh, you know, all these motivational books that I read, like um, uh, Think and Grow Rich, uh, that I've read in the past, Think and Grow Rich, Magic of Thinking Big. And um, if you have that, like, vision, that, like, really compelling vision, it's really easy to find people that will support you to do that. Um, whether it's, in Think and Grow Rich, you mentioned that, like, the, this one guy, he wanted to work with Thomas Edison. You know, that was his thing that was driving him. And he made it happen, you know. Um, so, like you, you come in with like this really killer idea. You're out of bo- out of the box thinker. You think unrealistic, and you just go out. Like you said, you're confident about pitching it, so you're happy to tell anyone about it, and then you make it happen. Yeah, I mean, it keeps coming back to the to the main point that I always tell people is that like the internet really has um, presented my generation with some incredible opportunities. And I'm always jealous of the next generation, to be honest, because they're going to be even more internet savvy than I am. Um, they're going to have a chip implanted in their brain, you know, so they won't yeah, have to go been, on the internet. <laughs> I've been thinking about this. Um, see, I, I reckon eventually... Did you ever watch um, Farscape? No, I haven't. Tell me about that. Uh, it's a sci-fi series, and basically there's all these various aliens, and they can all communicate because they've got, a, like, a chip in their head which auto-translates all languages. And there's quite a few companies working on not exactly that, but a similar-ish kind of product. And I'm quite looking forward to that day because it will mean I can go to places like Afghanistan and speak the local language, which will be very cool. I imagine it being like that, like you could just um, access all of the world's information, all of the information on the Internet on an impulse. I mean, you've kind of got to hope that it will stop at some point. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I certainly don't really want a chip in my head. But um, well, hopefully, there's an off off button. <laughs> I mean, the, the way technology is moving forwards at the moment is uh, certainly as an online influencer, it's hard to stay abreast of the uh, the latest developments. And I usually feel that the only people who are abreast of the latest developments are like fourteen to eighteen year olds who happen to be the first people to download the app. One second, there's a little background noise here. Yeah, and I think that's so important. I, um, James Shremko, who we've had in this podcast, you know, he said that even successful companies, they are in a constant state of innovate or die. And um, anyone who just wants to be successful as like, an entrepreneur, um, just doing anything innovative, um, you know, lifestyle design, you just always got to be learning, always got to be innovating. I think it's really important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, very cool. Well, thanks for um, coming on this podcast. Is there any question that uh, I should ask or that you want to be asked, but no one usually asks you? Hmm, I've never been asked that question before. (laughs) Um, um, Shit. Okay. I should ask, but haven't. Well, I'm I'm slightly surprised that you didn't ask, um, was I at all scared or intimidated whilst in countries like Pakistan. I'm glad that you didn't ask that because it shows that you realise that there is really no reason to be scared or intimidated in these countries. But a lot of people are curious, and I get questions every day from people who are like, is it safe to go to Pakistan? Am I, am I not going to get beheaded? And I'm like, well, you're an idiot for even asking that question. But, um, <laughs> I mean, these countries, like, in my opinion, every country in the world has good people and bad people, and there is no country which has a higher percentage of bad people than any other. I mean, if you look at what's going on in America at the moment, it's pretty crazy out there, like... You're just as likely to end up in serious trouble in the States as you are in Pakistan. And when I was in Pakistan, I I was really amazed at just how safe everything seemed and just how friendly everybody was. There was two suicide attacks 
whilst I was there, one of which was in a city that I was in at the time. And I still felt safe. I, I had the impression that if anything did go down, all of the local Pakistani people would do absolutely everything in their power to protect a foreigner. Tell me uh, briefly about that experience. Uh, what, what happened during that suicide bomb? What was the, the scene like on the ground? Well, it was, a, it was relatively far away from me, luckily. Uh, it was in Lahore Park, and I was in another part of Lahore with some friends. But we, we heard about it, watched it on TV, and then decided to stay in for the rest of the day. Um, on the flip side of that, I was, I was right next to um, a suicide bombing in Istanbul. I mean, I was like 15, 20 meters away from it. Uh, I was like one of the first people on the scene. That was pretty traumatizing. I wouldn't recommend it. Okay. Yeah, that's a great point that you brought up. I think the reason that I didn't ask you that question, I mean, one, one thing I take pride, I pride myself on is that um, when I'm doing an interview, I actually know the topic that I'm talking about. And uh, I think when, when you're some travel reporter is interviewing Will Hatton, but the travel reporter has never been outside of the United States or something, then, of course, they're going to ask you questions like, are you ever worried about getting beheaded? Things like this. Uh, this kind of <laughs> yeah. sensationalist, out of proportion uh, type of incidents. Like, you know, when I went to India, uh, all these women were commenting, oh, but I, I'm sure women wouldn't be able to travel there. And I met a lot of women who were backpacking there, and they were having a great time. And I met so many people, you know, 99% of people were just absolutely amazing, you know, so warm and genuine. Um, so I mean, India is India's an interesting. India is an interesting one. Like India yeah. is a huge country, and it's 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 hard to make any kind of comment about India, to be honest, just because of how big it is, and just because of how different the North is from the South. I mean, right. uh, India could almost be fifty different countries. You know? Um, yeah, it's, it's got so much diversity. It's got such a uh, so much tradition and culture and history, and it's just a, a shame that people just paint it with a brush, saying that it's. Uh, all poverty or it's very dirty and, and they just kind of come up with these generalizations about other countries uh, without ever actually going there. I mean, it's so common. Yeah, definitely. I think I think uh, if you are the kind of person who has a strong opinion about a country, you really owe it to yourself and to your <laughs> intelligence to go to this country um, rather than, you know, I mean, how can you have a strong opinion on something you know nothing about? It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and just a couple of days ago, I mean, I saw a video of uh, some guys from the UK, some soccer fans who were uh, traveling in France or something like this, and they're all, you know, driving on the wrong side of the road and swearing at everybody <laughs> and, and, like, chasing after people in French football jerseys and stuff. And uh, I'm not going to judge, like, everybody from the UK just by this one uh, football video. Oh, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool, man. So, uh What's next for you? Um, and also, if you want to check out uh, Will, what he's up to, and uh, his past stories, go to thebrokebackpacker.com. And, um, yeah, what's, what's next for you? Where are you going from here? Well, at the moment, I'm having a little bit of a break to edit all my videos together. But uh, next, the next big adventure is to rejoin the trip, which is happening in six weeks' time. I'll be going back to Pakistan uh, crossing from Pakistan to China to Tibet to Bhutan, and it's, nobody really gets to go to Bhutan because it is uh, like 200 bucks a day to get in. Luckily, the Bhutanese tourism government industry or whoever it is has agreed to waive the fee so that I can go in and take videos and take pictures and try to open up Bhutan a little bit. So I'm very, very excited about that. Um, and then, yeah, from there, really, it's just a case of slowly but surely making my way to the Philippines where I'm going to build my boat.
Very cool. Well, best of luck to you, Will, and thank you so much for your time on this podcast. And um, you know, travel well, my friend. Thank you very much, Danny. It's been been a pleasure to be here. Cheers. Yeah, take care.